Today the scripture is from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. In the second year of King Darius, on the twenty-first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw the priest's house in his own glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, said Rabbi, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains along among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is decided by all nations, nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. And the goal is mine, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present adult, the glory of the former, um, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declare the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ernest. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, the bulletin has the Bible text, and I'm sure that'll help you as we go through it. But let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that those you would lift up the hearts of those who are discouraged um, to help us to keep going in love and good deeds. Help us to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. When was the last time that you were discouraged in your ministry? Maybe you think, I don't have a ministry, but you do. I'm sure you do. Maybe you think your workplace is your ministry, that God has sent you there, and you're trying to live out your life as salt and light there, to share the gospel there. Maybe you've invited someone to come um, to church with you, and maybe you were just turned down, and you're discouraged then. Maybe it's your family that you're trying to reach out to, your husband and wife, your uh, children and, and extended family. You're just trying to get them to come. You've coaxed them to come. You've convinced them. You've tried to reason with them, and they're like Teflon. Nothing sticks, and it's, it's, it's just not working. Maybe you're a Lynx Group leader. Maybe in the middle of your week, and you think, oh, I need to get home early. And so you get your work done faster, quicker, and then you go home early and you go and study the passage and you pray through the passage, you pray for uh, the, your members, and one by one, 30 minutes before it starts, you get these texts, oh, I can't come today, I'm still at work. 
and it's just you and maybe two other people there. Maybe you're serving in the youth ministry or children's ministry, and you're pouring out your heart to them week by week. You do a sacrifice, and you make that sacrifice, and you think, actually, why aren't these kids changing? Or you ask yourself, wow, these little stories that I tell, will they actually make any difference in their life? Or maybe you look at the church. You look at the church and you go, wow, this isn't like the church that I used to go to or the church that was there 15 years ago. Maybe you have compare the church to, the, uh, church to others and you go, this is, doesn't seem like a place uh, that is glorious. How discouraging. And so many of us give up. We stop trying to share the gospel in the workplace. We stop trying to make a difference um, there. We stop uh, leading small groups and getting people to, uh, to, to, uh, to serve in youth groups and children's uh, ministry. And today, what we see is God sending his prophet Haggai to encourage those who are discouraged. So let's take a quick recap. A recap. Jerusalem Temple was destroyed in year 586 BC, and they were deported from the city. And at the time, Jerusalem Temple was destroyed as well. But a few years later, the first wave of exiles were able to come back to Jerusalem when King Cyrus took the throne. And his policy was to send people back to where they were. So in year 539 B.C., the first wave of exiles came back to Jerusalem. And they had this mission to build the temple. And they started to lay the groundwork. But uh, the Gentiles who now lived in Jerusalem. The leaders there opposed the building of the temple to Yahweh God. And so this effort quickly failed. And they had other things to worry about, didn't they? They had their own houses to build. They had their own gardens and livestock to take care of. And so they said, well, let's do this first. And 19 years had passed, and God's house was still in ruins. And last week, we heard God saying to Haggai, uh, through Haggai to God's people, you've built your house while my house remains in ruins. And so they responded to God's word. This doesn't happen all the time in the Bible, but God's people responded to this word, and they started to build the temple again, but quickly. They were discouraged again. Have you ever done this? I, um, this, uh, you know, you, might, you, you make a personal resolution, something like, I want to run the marathon this year. And you go, okay, I'm going to run the marathon. And you're motivated. You've, I don't know, heard a podcast about it or something. And you go out, you buy new shoes, and you go out to run. And the first five minutes of your run, you think, oh, wow. I am old, <laughs> or I'm way out of shape. I don't know if I can do this. And you come back, you think, actually, this isn't going to happen. Maybe not marathon. Something like that is going on in chapter 2. We read in verse 1 that it's just a little uh, less than a month after the work had begun on the temple. And this time is the seventh um, uh, day of the Feast of Booths which is also a bit uh, of a sort of a harvest festival. It was, it's like mid-autumn festival in Hong Kong when people are supposed to give thanks for the harvest. But remember in chapter 1, they had very little harvest. They weren't rich. This is, this, these were lean years, and they don't have much to be thankful. 
And at this time also is the uh, Feast of Boots is the uh, um, anniversary of the dedication of the first temple. At the end of that festival, uh, God's glory filled the house, uh, the, the, the Solomon's temple, and people rejoiced. And so people who were there, people who had seen the first temple saw what they were doing, and they were saying, actually, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we can actually make it. I don't know if we can finish it. Even if we finish it, what kind of state will this temple be? You see, back then, they had all the money and the resources there. Uh, King David wanted to build the temple, and God said no, uh, but then he saved up the royal treasury. Um, 180,000 men worked um, on it, and David saved up so much money. This is the uh, next slide. Uh, more than 285 tons of gold went into it, uh, 625 tons of silver and bronze beyond measure. There was so much silver, the silver felt like nothing. I mean, 625 tons of silver. Can you imagine how much uh, money that is? And these craftsmen worked on the first temple. But the exiles had no money, and they had no craftspeople. Uh, and remember, this was their second go. As they start to rebuild again, they, 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 they thought, ah, that those opposition, um, they're still there. Will we be able to finish? And so they ran into this wall of doubt, whether they should keep going or not. What's the point of this? Can we even finish? And God knew exactly what was in their hearts, which is why then God sent Haggai uh, to, uh, to the governor, to the priest, and to the people. And Haggai asked, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem, does it not seem like nothing? It seemed like nothing. That's why they were discouraged. It seemed the task seemed so daunting. That's why they were discouraged. And God knows. So friends, if you're discouraged in carrying out your ministry, let me encourage you, you're not alone. First, any authentic gospel ministry will run into opposition. You know why? Because Satan is real. Because the sinfulness of the world is real. Because the sinfulness of your heart is real. It will run into opposition, any authentic gospel ministry. And any authentic gospel ministry will also take time. Remember, when Jesus talks about ministry, he often uses uh, harvest or um, uh, agricultural metaphors. Right? Plants don't grow overnight. You plant the seeds, but you, you can't, once you plant them, you don't even know where they are. Where, where, where they are. They look, they're, they're in there, just look like nothing has happened. Elijah's ministry looked like nothing. He wanted to kill himself. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these prophetic ministries, Jesus' earthly ministry, didn't it look insignificant? Twelve people, all of whom had no idea still what was going on, even till the day that he died, and one of them betrays Jesus. And Jesus' ministry on the cross, it, w it looked worse than nothing, Right? It looked like positive humiliation, that they were going backwards, and yet it was a place of greatest glory and salvation. Our ministry of sharing the gospel looks like people ignoring it, people rejecting it, people getting angry over it, over at you. 
ministry of discipleship look like few exhausted people gathering on Wednesday nights after work, sharing uh, the Bible, uh, around the Bible, telling each other God's truth, that seems to make a little difference, but does make a difference. It looks like today, when it compares, when you compare it to maybe three years ago or many years ago, it might have looked more glorious. And it's easy to get discouraged, but it's not nothing because God is at work. This is where God is at work. Where God's people are doing his ministry, that's where God is at work. Authentic gospel work is the place where God promises to be and to reveal his glory. And that is everything. God is with us, he says. So in the next verse, in verse 4, he sent Haggai to encourage um, his people, to the governor, to the high priest, and to the people. And the message is the same. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Verse 4, and work. Because why? I am with you. It looks insignificant now, but I am with you. And we hear this promise echoed throughout the Bible in the key moments in the Bible only. When Moses was there in the burning bush, in the midst of that hallowed ground, God said, I am going to be with you. When Joshua was about to enter the promised land, God said to to him, Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Of course, it's the same promise that's made to us, to the disciples. All authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you because I am with you to the end of the age. God is with us. God promises to be with us, not when we're building our own houses, putting other things first, but when we're building his, his house. That's where God is. Not yet um, there, but we constantly try to get to God to be on our side, don't we? I don't know if you do this. Uh, let me show you what I mean. If you, have you ever been to a Korean morning prayer service? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a Korean morning prayer service. Yeah, two, three of you. It's an impressive place. I mean, first of all, people get up 5.30 in the morning, to, and they go to church. And lots of Korean churches are like mega churches. So thousands of people come at 5.30 in the morning, and then the pastor will say, let's pray. And you know how Korean people pray? They pray out loud all at the same time, and it's this sea of sound that fills the place, and it feels very impressive, and it is impressive. But if you pay attention to some of the things that people are praying about, people are praying most passionately about, often it's about themselves. God, bless my life, my work, my path, my friends, my family, my, 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 my health, my wealth. Let me tell you, we're constantly trying to get God to bless what we're doing. Let me, let me to, to be, get God to be where I am. Let me tell you how to get God to be with you in the things that you do. It's not, it doesn't require these frenzied requests. It's to build his house. It's to build his house, build the church, 
because God promises that he is there in that work to build the church. So even when things are discouraging, I hope you will do that. You will continue to share the good news of Jesus with your colleagues and with your friends and family. Continue to meet one-to-one with that friend that you want to share the gospel with and continue to disciple that person. Continue to disciple your children. Continue to lead uh, small groups and be part of a small group because God is there at every time you meet. Continue to volunteer in the church. Equip yourself so that you could serve others. Instead of God, asking God to reveal himself to you, reveal uh, his will for you, go where God is. Do what God is doing. Build his church and be strong and keep going. The promise of the Lord's presence doesn't mean that he'll just sit there and coach you. It means that he'll get down and dirty with you and give you the power and strength to do it, to continue to give all the resources that he has to make it happen. Say that you're a computer engineer, software engineer, and you have this great idea. You think it's going to change the world, and you work at it, but you're running uh, low on resources. It's hard to raise funds, uh, but you share it with your friends and family or whatever, and one day you hear this news. Somebody who has, work, uh, who has heard about your work is there with you and knocks on the door. It's Elon Musk. And then he shows up and says, I'm here. And the next day, it's, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or um, Jack Ma showing up. Um, with, you know, what this means, that, that'll, that, that'll make you be confident, wouldn't it? Right? No matter what state of that work is, you'll think, actually, this will get finished. And this will be awesome when it's done. Because when they are there... They bring all their expertise and resources with them for that project. Be strong. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I am with you. Build the church. Maybe you think, ah, Hugh, it's slightly, it sounds slightly self-serving. You're a pastor. You're telling people to build the church. I mean, what else are you going to say? But friends, it's not just me saying this. It's God saying it to God's people. And I want to say, this will be a glorious work. When it's done, when you see the finished project, when Jesus comes back, you will not have any regret working uh, towards building God's house and building the church. It will be worth it, and it will be glorious. And this is God's promise in verse 6. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and that is desired, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The language of shaking is an Exodus language. Uh, God shook the mountains. God shook the earth to bring people out of Egypt. And remember, when God's people came out of Egypt, they didn't come out as beggars. They plundered the Egyptians. This is Exodus 12, 35 to 36. If you uh, turn there, you'll see that gold, silver, and clothes, which was very valuable back then, were given to them. Everything that they asked the Egyptians, they gave because God uh, uh, disposed their hearts to give. Verse 36 says, they plundered the Egyptians. 
And God is promising to do it all over again. He will fill the temple not just with his presence, but stuff that represents his presence. The precious things, gold and silver. God isn't worried about how he will make his ends meet. Everything is his, he says in verse 8. And Book of Ezra is a historic companion book to Book of Haggai. If you read Ezra, you'll see all the stuff that's happening in Haggai and Zechariah um, and other places as well. And if you, we don't have time to go, but go home and read Ezra chapter, chapters 5 to 6. And you'll see how there, a governor, uh, Tentani, a governor of uh, Trans-Euphrates, uh, is going to try to stop the rebuilding of this temple. He's a Gentile governor, and he sends a, a letter to King Darius to say, could you stop this construction, which completely backfires. Because in chapter 6 of Ezra, Darius then searches back his royal archives, and he finds the letter that King Cyrus originally sent with the first wave of exile. And he finds that actually Cyrus had promised to rebuild the temple and promised to give them the resources to do so. So King Darius not only authorizes the construction of the temple, he orders Governor Tentani, this Gentile governor, to pay for it. So he says their expenses are to be fully paid for, paid for out of the royal treasury from the revenue of Trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Silver and gold are mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And the promise here is not just that this work will be completed, but it will be even more glorious than the first temple. And in time, this was fulfilled as well. This here is the model of the second com temple compared to the first, first one. The second temple was completed by Herod around uh, 2019 um, BC. And it was one of the most impressive buildings in the world at the time. It was huge. It was glorious. And although destroyed, you can still go 2,000 years later to Jerusalem and see these stones, massive stones that were used to build the second temple. One stone is, uh, one archaeolo uh, the archaeologists uh, say it's about 500 tons. They don't know how they moved it. <laughs> they don't know how they shaped it because it's so big. The glory, verse 9, of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And yet, this prophecy that the, la the latter, the, the, the temple that will come later will be more glorious than the former one, uh, Haggai was looking forward to even something else when he said this, because once again, 2,000 years later, Jesus stood on that temple mound and said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. You know, all the glory of the first and the second temple pointed to Jesus and God's glory dwelling in him. And his glory exceeded, exceeded all their wildest imagination. And also, we are now, we the church are now the temple who's, uh, in, in, uh, where God's glory shines. We are the people that God is building 
you'll see this sort of thing again and again in the New Testament. Uh, but one place to go to is 2 Corinthians. Paul there compares the glory of the Old Covenant with the glory of the New Covenant. Mosaic Covenant with the Jesus um, Covenant. And he talks about Moses whose face shone with God's glory. But it had to be veiled. People didn't have direct contact but in the new covenant, under the new covenant, we have God living in us and making us more and more like Jesus. And that is much, much more glorious, Paul assures us. So he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all with, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Each person is this building block of God's glorious temple. And each person is being transformed to be like God. A person who shines um, God's glory. And each of us, if we're being shaped into the image of Jesus, we shine the glory of God in a way that no building could ever do. This past week, Mary and I celebrated our eighth anniversary, um, wedding anniversary. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, every year, actually, I'm not very creative, and so we've been doing this every year. <laughs> Since uh, uh, our anniversary, we go. Uh, it's the place where I propose, uh, the day we went, I, I, uh, I proposed, I went, and anniversaries, and we go and have high tea at, um, we sort of splurge at the top of ICC. And if you've been there, you know, ICC, I mean, look at, you look at it, it's an impressive building, isn't it? I go up there and use the bathroom, and I think, how does the water get up here? I mean, the water needs to be pumped all the way from down to all the way high, and it's perfect sort of pressure. How do they do it? It's a glorious building, of course. And from out there, you see the skyline of Hong Kong. And, you know, what city has better skyline than Hong Kong? These beautiful buildings. But in 100 years, how many of these buildings will remain? I don't know. Three, four? How about in 1,000 years? How about in 2,000 years? How about three? In this photo, the only thing that's immortal are Mary and me. Only thing will con that, that will continue to shine God's glory is Mary and me. Those who are in Christ are immortal immortal. We will shine God's glory. Those who are being transformed uh, with ever-increasing glory will shine like the sun when Jesus comes back and we're united with Christ. Friends, what can you do? What else can you do that will, that will last the eternity? When you meet with people, when you bring food and encourage people to keep going in love and service to the Lord, and when you keep them uh, f f fast to Jesus, that's what you're doing. You're building God's house that will last forever. When you do the work of service in the church, when you build up one another, you're doing work that will last forever. Build my house, 
God commanded last week. Be strong. I am with you. Sometimes it does look like nothing. But the good news is that the church is one that God builds with all of his resources, and he's there with us in our work. And if you participate, every bit that you contributed will shine like the sun forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these people who are gathered here today who shine your glory, who bear your image, whom you love and you've paid the price of the blood of your Son. And we thank you that you are here with us in the power of your Spirit building us. And Lord, we commit our lives to you yet again. Help us to prioritize you. Help us to build up your house Help us to experience what it means uh, to be with you, doing this work with you. And Lord, we pray that everything that we offer, you'll use them to build up your kingdom. Help us to set our eyes on the future glory that we might keep going and not be discouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.